Hi, I'm Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you, and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. David Williams, welcome to the podcast, Is That Even Legal? Uh, on this podcast, as you know, we discuss what's legal. And today we're going to discuss what's legal with regard to contractor law. You know, those guys who build us stuff? Contractors. So one thing that's interesting about your legal background is you're uniquely qualified to talk about contractor law. And the reason is you have represented people who have licenses and contractors are licensed individuals and you've represented them before the administrative boards and these people are doctors and you've represented nurses and contractors all before their licensure boards. And so that background makes you unique in uh, able to qualify and qualified, uniquely qualified, I should say, to talk about this. So, well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate you having me on the podcast today. Um, yeah, as far as my background, I deal a lot with people that have professional licenses, and that ranges from contractors to um, health professionals. Um, and you have to learn to pick up the jargon and the unique terminology that goes along with those professional fields. And so, in my current practice, I do quite a bit of licensing when it comes to um, licensed contractors. And, and in Arizona, we call the licensing entity, entity, the registrar of contractors. And so I know as we continue with our discussion, let me just put a disclaimer out there. As we continue with our discussion today, um, some of the things we're going to be talking about are in a general sense, licensing issues for contractors. In Arizona, we call that the licensing entity, entity the registrar of contractors. But generally, all states, all 50 states uh, in the United States have some sort of licensing entity that licenses a contractor. And they all follow the basic ideas, which are that contractors have to follow minimum construction standards that are agreed to throughout their industry. So although we might talk about specifically things in Arizona, these principles have general application nationally. Right, and as long as we're doing the legal disclaimer, this is a podcast of general legal information. It is not meant to give you personally, the listener, advice. So if you need personal advice, don't just listen to this podcast, reach out, talk to an attorney who's qualified. They really want to talk to you and they'll help you. Okay, so I want to talk about the naughty contractor, the contractor that, that gives us all, gives the contractors bad names. Now, I want to know, can a contractor leave a job and just not finish it. Maybe they say, it's not making me enough money. I don't want to finish this job. I'm not going to do a good job. I'm not going to, I'm not going to complete the work and just walk away. Is that even legal? You know what, what's funny, um, I can actually give you a qualified no for that answer because I've heard, I've been an active listener of your podcast, Bob. It's been awesome. The, the stuff you have on your podcast has been great. And so for those, for those of your listeners that haven't caught up I would encourage them to do that. I've heard other um, 
people you've had on here give kind of a qualified answer about it depends. But for the most part, I can tell you emphatically, no, a contractor is not allowed to take your money. That's not how that profession works. And, and if a contractor did that, they can risk losing their professional license. Tell me more about that because, you know, even if this contractor doesn't feel like it's making him a good money, why are they compelled to finish? Well, so there's a bunch of, there's a couple of different reasons that are tied into that. The main reason is um, as a, um, as a right, the, the privilege of having a professional license in the state of Arizona is that, or in, in any state really where you're a licensed professional, but specifically a contractor. Um, the privilege of having a contractor's license is um, it's a social contract. Um, you're given the privilege of having a license, but in order to have that license, there are privileges that attach to it. There are obligations you have, and, and every state has their own unique law, but generally, um, contractors have to follow certain guidelines. They have to work um, and communicate with the with the customer. They have to um, do their job to, um, and, and do the construction job to meet certain minimum standards. There are states also impose other requirements on contractors and how they actually enter into a contract with a customer. And if they don't follow those basic rules and requirements, they run the risk of losing the privilege of having a license. You know, it, contractors taking money and walking away from a job is a story as old as time. As long as there's been contractors, there's been unfinished projects that have been paid for. How do I know that I'm not getting one of the naughty contractors? How do I know I'm getting a good contractor? Yeah, and that's a great question. And let me qualify um, one thing is, the example you've given about the naughty contractor, the person that comes in and takes money um, and then and abandons the job and leaves you with a half-finished kitchen or a half-finished remodel, um, those are the exceptions and not the rules. But there are certain things that you as a customer can do. If you're gonna hire a contractor that you can, that frankly are what I would say the minimum things that you should be doing to protect yourself from those exception those, those naughty contractors. So for instance, there's a list of probably five or six things that you should do um, if you're a customer who wants to hire a licensed contractor. The first thing is you wanna make sure they're licensed. And there's a whole bunch of reasons about why you wanna hire a licensed contractor, which we can talk about in a little while. But first, you just wanna make sure that they're licensed in the state that they're doing business with. They'll typically have a contractor's license. It's usually most states make sure they display it on the side of their car, or their truck, on their work truck. They have to display it on their business cards, and they also have to display it on the contract that they ultimately sign with the customer. The second thing, after you make sure they're licensed, you wanna make sure they're bonded. And when I say bonded, every state has a bonding requirement for a contractor. Think about it like insurance money. The, the, the contractor is supposed to get an insurance policy and show the state that they're licensed in that they have insurance that can cover for when there's problems that arise with a customer. That's what we call bonded. So you wanna make sure first that the, that the contractor is licensed, second that they're bonded, that they have a bond on file with the state in which they work. Number three, you wanna make sure that, you might wanna just check out their history. When I say that, um, you can go on, um, most states have a light in their, in their contractor licensing group, their entity. So in Arizona, again, we call that the Registrar of Contractors. In Arizona, you could go on the Registrar of Contractors website, type in the license number of the contractor or even the name of the contractor, and you can look at their history 
their complaint history, which means um, if someone has filed a complaint against that contractor, is that complaint, did that complaint result in a settlement? Did that complaint result in, a, in some sort of discipline or action against the contractor's license? Um, so you should look up their complaint history. The fourth thing I would do, um, especially depending on if you're gonna spend a lot of money on a, let's say you're gonna spend $50,000 on a kitchen remodel. Um, if you're gonna put a lot of money out of your pocket for hiring a, con a contractor, I would get references. Most contractors that are good at what they do, they would be happy to give you the names of three or four other customers that, have, that they've done good work for. And they should be able to give you uh, examples of their prior work and give you the names of the customer. So as, as a prospective customer, if I'm gonna hire that contractor, I wanna call their reference. And I wanna be able to um, get them and check out the work that they've been doing. And then the final thing is um, when you enter into a contract with, so let's say you've done all those other things. You've looked to see whether they're licensed. You've confirmed that they're bonded. You've looked and you've vetted their complaint history and maybe you've looked at their references. The last thing that you're gonna do before you hire a contractor is you're gonna enter into a construction agreement, a contract with the contractor. Um, and this is where a lot of times people get in trouble because sometimes uh, naughty contractors or not even contractors that are gonna rip you off, just sloppy contractors. Um, uh, because some contractors aren't really good business people, okay? They, they cut corners and they have sloppy contracts. And so in Arizona, for instance, we have a state minimum, there's a minimum, there's contracts that in the, in the state requires certain minimum things to go into them, for instance. Um, the contract should always state what you're hiring the contractor to do. We call that the scope of work. If you're hiring to do a kitchen remodel, you want to specifically outline in the contract what exactly you're hiring them to do. All right. Typically, a contractor will give you an estimate when, when you hire them, but you want to make sure you get this, the contract should always have a scope of work. Number two, it should have a, a date for when the work's supposed to be done. We call that a completion date. They should also have their contractor's license number on there. In Arizona, we also require a disclaimer on contracts, uh, in construction contracts, that say that the customer has a right to file a complaint with our registrar of contractors. Um, and that has to be, that's like a minimum disclosure. Contractors can actually get in trouble in Arizona if they have a contract that doesn't have those minimum parts to it. Um, and then the other thing that you should always have in a contract is how is the contractor going to be paid? A lot of times you get into trouble with a contractor who wants to be paid all of their money up front. If you get a contractor that wants to be paid all of their money up front, typically they're going to be, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. You want to go let ahead. Let me ask you a question on that. How much is reasonable to be paid up front? Typically, um, contractors will require some amount of money down because, um, and that's reasonable. Um, I would say maybe a third or a quarter of the payment, depending upon the size of the job. Because, and the reason they're going to need some money down is because the contractor is going to have to go buy materials. They're going to have to go hire a subcontractor. So if you're doing a kitchen remodel, they may have to hire a cabinet installer or they may have to hire a plumber. And so they're going to have to go out and hire their own tradespeople that are subcontractors. So the contract, it's reasonable for the contractor to want some money up front, but you never want to pay the contractor all of their money up front because once they have all your money, then they've been paid and they have no incentive to complete the work. So in your contract, you want to always put something, we call them progress payments. It's you basically break the payment maybe over into thirds or into quarters and you pay the contractor as they complete certain parts of the work. So 
when the, when the first payment is due, you give them the down payment. And then when they get to a certain point in the construction and they've, they've met a certain completion deadline, then you give them the second payment. And so that way, if you're giving them progress payments, um, that protects the customer from getting all of their money taken, but it also keeps the contractor honest because the contractor is gonna come back and finish the work. Okay, let me tell you what I'm hearing or just summarize what I'm hearing. First thing you do, if you want to hire a good contractor, you're going to find out are the, is that contractor licensed? That's number one. And license, I would imagine, in what you need. So if you need a cabinets put in, you're going to want some sort of cabinet licensure? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then you're going to look at whether or not they're bonded. And then you're going to look at the, his, look at the history of complaints. And I want to ferret out then, well, I want to ferret out some of that in a bit, but then you're going to look at the contract, make sure they get a contract, and then you're going to get references. Exactly. All right, so let me, let, me, let me go back to the complaints and being bonded. Okay. If I see a history of complaints, that bond is, and, and there's in a history of complaints of ongoing complaints, that bond's useless, right? Well, so you've asked two different questions there. One is, if you have a contractor that has a lot of complaints, that's that's a red flag for me. If I see a, if I'm going on a contractor, if I'm looking up a contractor, and a contractor has maybe one or two complaints, but they've been in business for 20 years, that isn't a big deal to me. If you have a contractor that's been in business five years and they've got and they've got 15 open complaints, that's a problem. Okay, so it's relative. Um, if the contractor's been in business a lot longer and they've got fewer complaints, that's not as big an issue. If you've got a contractor that hasn't been in business long and they've got a lot of complaints, that's probably one you don't want to hire. But a contractor that has a lot of open complaints um, and has a lot of problems with a lot of customers, um, that bond is not going to be enough to cover all of the claims by all of those customers. So for instance, well, because usually most bonds, um, are going to vary. For instance, like a residential bond usually is about $5,000. Um, a, a commercial bond is sometimes, will sometimes be about 10000 or maybe a little higher than that. So a, a $5,000 bond is not going to cover a $50,000 kitchen remodel. And then let's say you have a contractor that has 10 open jobs and 10 customers that they're dealing with um, who've each paid that contractor maybe anywhere from 10000 to 100000 for their job there's not enough money in that bond to cover all of the potential claims that that customers may have if that contractor runs into a problem and say shuts down their business and leaves a bunch of customers with half finished construction jobs so you're right the bond the bond is not a catch all it's 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 designed to be a way for you to 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 see that a contractor's doing what they have to do to be able to get a license in Arizona there are other things, though, that um, that a customer can do, and we can talk about that. When we talk about contractors, Dave, is people want to know: Are they also insured? But insurance won't help me if I if the contractor walks away, will it? Well, um, good contractors will usually get what we call professional liability insurance, which means um, think about it like um, if you're going to sue your doctor, your doctor has malpractice insurance, okay? Um, contractors have the same type of thing. They call it um, 
it's professional liability insurance to cover certain situations where a contractor has done bad work. We call it deficient work is the legal term, but it's where a contractor has done bad work and they've, they failed to meet minimum construction standards within the industry. So that's a whole part of a, if you're going to file a lawsuit against a contractor, um, if a contractor has insurance nine times out of 10, and you prove your claim or you settle a claim with the contractor, the insurance money will 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 take care of that. Um, but you're going to run into situations where a contractor doesn't have insurance. And at least in Arizona, and most states have similar types of things. Um, they've actually, the states, the state governments usually create a, like a, a trust fund or a recovery fund where a homeowner can go and seek recovery from the state directly um, to get back monies if they've, if they've had a bad dealing with a, with a bad contractor. Here's the thing. I want to, I want to do some work in my house. Let's just say I want to do some work in my house and I don't want to pay the big bucks, Dave. I want to save money. And so what I, my plan is to go out, hire the unlicensed contractor and save 20 or 30%. Why am I, why can't I do that? So, uh, and that's a good question because a lot of people feel like they can save money by not getting a licensed contractor for all the reasons you just said. Um, and it, it sort of deals with, if I'm a customer, my level of risk, if I'm doing a small bathroom remodel and I'm just replacing my shower, you may be able to get your buddy who works as a foreman on a construction job. And, and that might be a, a level of risk that you're willing to accept. But if you're going to turn around and spend, say, a multiple of tens of thousands of dollars to do a kitchen remodel or put um, or do a major remodel of your flooring or a roof or you're going to do some major construction work. You want to make sure that that's a licensed contractor. And here's why. For all the reasons that we just talked about, you know, that there's a vetting process when you when you're a licensed contractor, you have to pass certain tests and you have to be vetted by the state before you get a license. So there's a vetting process to make sure that quality contractors are the ones that get their licenses, that they have to meet certain minimum standards. The other reason, which is what I just talked about a minute ago, is this recovery fund. And let me explain that because that's really important. Um, when a licensed contractor pays their dues, their, their licensing fees to the state they operate in, a portion of those fees are set aside and put into a pool of money called a recovery fund. And so what happens is if you get left high and dry by a contractor who goes out of business or just abandons a job and you're, you're out $30,000, or maybe you're going to have to spend another $20,000 to finish the job. Um, you can actually make a claim against the contractor's recovery fund. And in Arizona, you can get up to $30,000 from the state contractor's recovery fund. If you have hired a licensed contractor, if you hire an unlicensed contractor, the state's going to say, sorry, you don't get to participate in the recovery fund. Okay, well, I want to go down this road um, a little bit further. Let's say I, the consumer, am having a problem with this contractor. What do I actually do? What does the process look like in order to get a remedy? What should I do? So most states follow the same general process. Um, you actually file a complaint with the licensing entity. And again, in Arizona, we call that the registrar of contractors. Most states use a similar name. So what you do is, let's say you're having a problem with a contractor and there's, and that could be a lot of different situations. It could be um, the contractor has abandoned the job. It could be the contractor's not talking to you. It could be that the contractor you hired 
finish the job, but their work is really bad. Again, we call it deficient work. Um, if, if those situations arise, you go to your licensing, you go to the registrar, I'll just call it the registrar for, for simplicity's sake, and you file, you fill out a form, and that's called a complaint. You fill out a form, typically the, con, the, the registrar is gonna to want to get a copy of the construction agreement. They're gonna to wanna to know how much you paid the contractor. And then if, if the contractor has done bad work or deficient work that doesn't meet minimum standards, they want, you wanna list all the problems that you have. And, so, and you wanna be as inclusive as you can. So make as long a list as possible of all the problems. And then you file that complaint and the Registrar of Contractors will assign an investigator who's also somebody who has construction experience, and they will go out to the job site, usually your house, and they'll inspect the, the contractor's work. And they will go through that bullet list of items that you have, and they, that inspector will typically say, does this complaint about the plumbing or this complaint about the grout work or the tile work, does that meet minimum construction standards? And if it doesn't, then the registrar of contractors will order the contractor to return to the job site and finish the work. And then if the contractor refuses to finish the work or doesn't do that work within a period of time um, allowed by the registrar, then the registrar will actually start an administrative proceeding to discipline the contractor's license. And that could ultimately result in uh, the contractor having to pay a, a, a penalty or a fine, it could result in a suspension of the contractor's license, or ultimately it could result in what we call revocation, which is the license is completely taken away from the contractor. And that's a very powerful process because the contractor, if the contractor's license is revoked or suspended, they can't earn a living. And yeah. so suddenly um, a complaint filed against a contractor becomes a very powerful tool to get a contractor to try to cooperate with their customer. You know, to me, that's the biggest advantage of using a registered, licensed contractor and holding that contractor's feet to the fire. That license, they need it, they want it, they have to do business with it. And that's why you go to licensed contractors because they don't want to lose their livelihood. There's, there is an absolute risk if you choose not to use a licensed contractor. I mean, for a little job, you know, that, that, that just a little holes in the walls and the handyman type stuff, I don't see a problem with using a regular handyman that's not licensed. But when you start to spend some real dough, you wanna use a licensed contractor, you wanna have that mechanism to protect yourself. Yeah, and, and you actually mentioned one point. Um, you talk about a handyman. In Arizona and most states, they have what they call a handyman exception. For construction jobs that are less than $1,000, you don't have to hire a licensed contractor. And there are people that go off and have handyman or handy person services where they just come in and do like little jobs like that. Install your, install your lighting, hang your ceiling fans, maybe help you with a, a small plumbing job. If it's less than $1,000, then at least in Arizona, the contractor doesn't have to be licensed. And so again, the reason that exists is because the, there's less risk involved to the customer. If a customer is only putting $500 at risk, then having a license isn't that big a deal. But if you're putting $60,000 at risk, that's a big deal for most people and why you want to hire a licensed contractor. I want to flip the scale a little bit here. Let's say I'm a good contractor and I meet that jerk face client. You know, that one that can't stop complaining about just 
everything. And, and now I'm in a situation where I'm facing the contracting board, the register of contractors in Arizona or whatever licensing board. And I feel like I'm getting blackmailed into doing more work. I feel like this guy, this customer is really taking advantage of me and holding my feet to the fire, making me go jump through the hoops so I can't make money. What do I do to protect myself against that jerk? So, um, and, and you'd be surprised that there are actually good contractors that get held hostage all the time that feel like they're being blackmailed. Um, and sometimes that's just a risk of the profession if you're a contractor. Um, but let's, let's, all the things that I talked about earlier about what the customer can do to protect themselves, it's the exact same thing that the contractor can do. The first thing that the contractor can do to, to head, head off these issues are make sure you're using a good contract a contract that meets the minimum standards of your industry, or even have an attorney review your contract to make sure that there's language in there that protects you. The second thing is, if you communicate with your customer, then, then you're already dealing with problems that arise and you're able to address that. And make sure you're communicating with your customer in writing if you need to. So maybe you have a phone call and then you follow up that phone call with an email confirming this is what we're gonna do. There also are times where, um, where the customer um, in the contract says, this is what we're going to do, but maybe they change their mind. So, so let me give you an example. They're doing a kitchen remodel and the customer decides they want a different kind of cabinet color and that cabinet is more expensive um, or they would use a different type of grout and that, or excuse me, a different countertop, a different type of granite countertop. And that's more expensive. What the, what a good contractor will do is if there's a change to the construction agreement, they'll get the customer to sign a, what we call a change order, which says that we're changing the scope of work to be something different than what we already agreed to. And that change order will say, this is what the new work's gonna cost, and this is when I'll have it done, and then the customer signs off on it, and the contractor signs off on it. And it basically becomes an amendment or an extension of the original contract. So you've got everything in writing on the front end, um, and so you know what's gonna happen, and the customer knows what's gonna happen. Most contractor complaints occur because people have a different set of expectations and that happens because they don't talk. If the customer is not talking to the contractor or the contractor more importantly is not talking to the customer, that's when problems come up. And so if you can talk to the customer and you are upfront with them about what the expectations are, a lot of these problems can be avoided. Good point, Dave. Communication is absolutely key. If I'm a contractor or a consumer of the work of a contractor and I have a problem, how do I get a hold of you? Um, you can reach me through Davis Miles. Our phone number is 480-733-6800, or you can reach me by email. My email address is dwilliams, D-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S at davismiles.com. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. And to all the listeners out there, I wish you a happy build and hopefully you'll never meet the naughty contractor, uh, but some of you will. And hopefully if you're a contractor, you're never gonna meet that jerk face client. Well, you're gonna meet that person. So uh, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. 
If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.